It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07, 71 degrees. It's the first few minutes of the Lawn and Garden Show. And I am Walter Reeves, and I am here, and we are going together to learn some things this morning. Welcome, my friends. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, who is here with only one goal in mind, and that goal is to make you, help you be more successful in your garden. And you can define success however you like. If it's one less weed, one more flower, I don't care. Whatever you want, whatever your goal is in your landscape, I can at least shove you a little bit towards that goal. <laughs> Sometimes you may not want to do what I say do, but then I'll tell you what you could do. If you have a particular problem with your lawn or trees or shrubs or bugs, nuisance, nuisance animals, nuisance creatures that you need to control, if you have a question about any of them, 404-872-0750. Speaking of nuisance animals, I got a, uh, a quick text from my brother, Alan, who lives over in Cave Spring near Rome, and he said, well, one less, and the one less was a timber rattlesnake, and the timber rattlesnake was 52 inches long, had 14 rattles on its tail, and the second picture was Alan's dog. Poor little dog had gotten curious, I guess, about what the snake was doing in the pile of leaves and had sort of poked at him with his nose. And the snake, of course, reared up and bopped him on the nose and bit him. And so the dog's nose was swollen up. Poor dog was swollen up pretty badly. And Alan went over to see what was going on and happened to have a firearm handy. And so he shot the snake in the head. End of snake. And his plan now is to is to skin the snake, tan it, and mount it because it's so big, 52 inches long. That's a pretty big snake. And Alan lives out in the country, and so he's very, very, you know, he's, he's, he's accustomed to being around snakes. He knows that there are snakes out there, lots of copperheads and, and rattlers and things, and he lives on a, on a small creek, and so there's certainly a lot of snakes out there. So he knows what to do. The dogs, in general, know what to do, too. This dog just got a little bit too close and got bit. It's, and by the way, the dog is fine now. Alan says, happy as a clam, enjoying being treated like a hero. So <laughs> the, dog, the dog is fine from the snake bite. But a reminder for everybody who is uh, walking around through the woods, it's a good idea to swish things, to make a little noise, to vibrate the ground a little bit. Stomp before you go over a log, before you step over a log, because it might be a snake on the other side sunning him or herself who wouldn't care to have your shoes right in front of their face when you step over the log. So that was one creature this week that sadly is not going to be another inhabitant of the out of doors. But then I got a great question, an email yesterday from a guy who said, what is the tree that has the golden medallions on it? No picture, just what is the tree that has the golden medallions on it at this time of year? And I thought, now, medallions? What are you talking about, medallions? Gold is like a, seeds, is, is things that hang on the trunk, on the bark, on the, what are you talking about, medallions? And so I was turning that around and around in my head, thinking, what could he possibly be asking about? And then another guy sent a picture in of 
a tree with golden medallions on it, but he had a picture in this case. I could see what it was. You know what it was? Kusa dogwood. One of the most interesting dogwoods you can have in your landscape because it blooms much, much later than normal Florida dogwoods do, the ones that we admire and think are so pretty in April. The Kusa, or Asian dogwood, blooms sometime in May. And it has very distinct flowers that are sort of uh, pointed on the ends of the flowers. You can tell it's a dogwood, but you're still sort of pointed on the ends of the bracts that you see on the tree. And they're followed by these very distinctive orange, pink, golden balls about uh, about an inch in diameter. I guess little, little pokey things, so it looks like a Sputnik sort of, a Sputnik maybe, that are just all over the tree. And the guy, the first guy said, what are those medallions? And the second guy who sent me the picture of what is this tree, I put two and two together and answered the guy with the medallions and said, this is what you have most likely. It is Kusa, Asian dogwood, great tree, fabulous tree, disease-resistant dogwood, blooms at a different time, just a fabulous tree. And that solved, I guess, both of those questions to their satisfaction. But Kusa dogwood right now is forming those I still don't know what to call them, agglomerations, maybe it's the right word, agglomerations of seed that after they ripen on the tree for just a little while, you can eat them. You can eat them. You wouldn't think that there would be something on a dogwood tree that you could eat, but if you get one that's really ripe, it's sort of soft, and put it in your mouth, it'll taste um, vaguely like custard. It's a little vanilla-y, vanilla slight scent to it, and um, suck that down, and if you if you enjoy that kind of stuff, you can eat the dogwood things. The squirrels and other creatures, raccoons and things, will eat them too. But that is one thing that you can eat right now is, uh, is the softened seeds on the Kusa dogwood. So that's what I've been doing this week, observing and seeing and seeing a snake and seeing the dogwood capsules and all that other stuff. <clears throat> and I just realized that I need to set up my... set up my screening software here because I forgot to do that when I came in. And there it goes, going up, going up, going up, going up, going up, and populate. There it is. So I know who's calling up for the next half hour. We'll talk to Mary in Lawrenceville about a Bayer 3-in-1 product that affects butterflies. Jerry in Conyers wants to talk about loripetalum, stimulating the growth on it. Lewis in Jefferson wants to know about fire ant killers and what he can use. But first in line, our friend Nicole in Griffin, GA. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reed. Mr. Nicole, it's good to hear your voice. Same here, same here. What do you want to talk about this morning, Nicole? Well, uh, snake first, because uh, you see they clear a lot of land, and there's a lot of wildlife. Uh, they have to move and find new homes, you yeah. know, so there's a lot of snake crossing the street. <laughs> but I'm always lucky the car will run over, then I go and, and look at it, you know. I saw a, a conversation between two people who lived in Tucker, Georgia, uh, online in the little neighborhood email go-around, and one of them proposed that the this motto for the city of Tucker, Georgia be, what kind of snake is that? Because everybody in Tucker seems to have seen a snake, and it's all people are talking about this time of year, is what snake have you seen recently in Tucker, Georgia? Yeah, there's a lot of them this year. Yeah. Um, uh, talking about roadkill, uh, where I live, there's water on each side, so uh -huh. there's a lot of deal and things like this. So if I, there's a roadkill, I have to stop and look, okay? And <laughs> this week, you know what I saw? What did you see? Just amazing, Mr. Reeve. Uh, you guys here is the eagle, okay, the motto for United States. Yeah. Us, Canada, is the beaver. Oh, yeah. So I saw a beaver. Mr. Reeve, our little beaver, they cannot compete with this big old guy that I saw because ours are so... 
uh, busy. I mean, just skinny and have a hard time. Uh-huh. They work so hard that you cannot walk in the wood without the tree falling on your head. <laughs> but the one that I saw is big as a dog. Wow. This is on the, on the highway. A dead yes. Oh, my gosh. How can, how can they be that big here? I must have made a big bump when the car hit it. The car, I saw the brake, the brake uh, trace. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. The tail's about like uh, wide, as wide as six inches and as long as 18 inches. Wow. You know? Just monster beaver. Good, good. I didn't even know that we had beaver here in the U.S. And I guess this is the time of year when the younger, younger beaver you know, the, the, the sons and daughters of the adults have finally decided we need to get out of this family family uh, environment, need to go and split off and go find a place to build our own dams and make our own family, too. So this will be a time when the beaver, the young beavers, are traveling around trying to find a new place to live. Yeah, and it's really lost cause for them. <laughs> because, you know, the water, if, the, if they see something leaking, they have to go work sure. night and day. Yep. But then the county come and destroy everything, so they have to start all we'll over again. again. I can imagine two or three beavers who go up a creek, each one making their own dam for the one to, to block the water of the one before it. And so they move up the creek by 50-yard steps, I guess you'd call it, trying to dam up a creek. And all of a sudden, everybody, all your houses, human houses, are flooded because the big dam that all these beavers have put up. Yeah, they have to put them in the cage and put some someplace else. Yeah. When I was a kid, they had the, this man was telling us that would take a dynamite to uh, blow up the dam sure. because it was so well done. Sure, 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 sure. The, the human beings got the idea from damming because of them, <laughs> don't they? I guess so. At least we know beaver, like you say, they work constantly to plug any leak that they see or you know, sort of sense that there's a leak in the dam that they've built because they want the dam to flood and kill the saplings and trees b- before it so that they can eat those and can store them for the, you know, the wintertime in their little hut. And so uh, beaver dams are important to their livelihood. They've got to make sure that dam doesn't leak, and they will spend all day long finding the leak and pexing it up. Yeah, and the, the, uh, they take uh, a female for life, Yeah, and the kids uh, work all the time with them. It's just really a family uh, they stay together all their lives, you yeah. know. I saw one closely, closer than I ever had before, at the Chattahoochee Nature Center up here north of Atlanta a couple of months ago. And it was really fascinating to see the beaver swimming around pretty close, like 10 yards away from me, and swimming around. They get fed it an apple. They got it on land and ate its apple. And it's pretty interesting. You rarely see a beaver up close in real life. You see them on films and things like that. But it was fascinating to see him just doing his beaver thing in this little pond. They're not good on land because their feet are made right. to swim right. because they're not fast enough to cross the street. Yeah. But it was just uh, really, you know, eyes opening to see that big yeah. of a beaver. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? Well, we learn every day from something that we see. You and I both are real observers of how nature, nature, nature works outside, so it's one of those things that I really enjoy myself. Same thing, because I'm looking at plants more than you maybe looking at the road i'm looking at trees and seeing is that tree dead is that tree got a got a bugs in is that tree you know the different variety that i've never seen before so both of us are real big observers of the way nature performs 
Mother's good, Missouri. Mother's doing all right. She's I went down there Wednesday and she was doing fine. All right. All right. I got to get out of here, Nicole. It's great talking to you this Saturday morning. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We will see you soon at six eighteen. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News ninety five five at AM seven fifty WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by All Good Pest Solutions. Today, partly cloudy, 50% chance of thunderstorms during the day, high of 87. Tomorrow, 30% chance of rain, high of 88. Overnight, the lows be in the... Very high 60s or low 70s. Right now it's 71.5 degrees. Your full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mary is out in Lawrenceville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Mary, hey, good morning. Good morning. I have a question about the Bayer All-in-One Rose and Flower Care. Sure, tell me. I'm using it on some azaleas, uh, butterfly bush hydrangeas, and I'm thinking, is this going to kill butterflies? Mm, not on the azaleas, but yes, on the butterfly bush. Oh, no. Oh, darn it. <laughs> what are you trying to, to control? What's well, the... I, I sometimes have trouble with fungus or white flies or yeah. that type of thing. So. You know, if I were you, I would um, spray the azaleas. They're, they're not blooming right now. There's nothing attractive to pollinators on azaleas at all. Mm-hmm. The butterfly bush, of course, is blooming, and butterflies will be visiting those flowers. So if there's any way to spray on the leaves that are away from the flowers maybe or some way to put the pesticide in a way that doesn't contact the flowers that would be my advice but this is a systemic oh you're talking about if i use a spray if you use a spray yeah now if it is if it's a systemic kind that you put on the ground a lot of scientists have said in in their meeting and their research that not a whole lot of insecticide actually goes into the flower some does yeah but it's not like you're poisoning deadly making the flower or the butterfly bush absolutely deadly to any visitor so that's the kind of thing that i'm willing to say if you've got a big problem that needs to be solved with insects on a, on a plant that's flowering i don't think it's going to be that much damage to the pollinators the butterflies that visit those blooms i just don't think there is yeah well that's what it is this, this rose and flower care is um systemic yeah all right well you, right. you you do what you do. You do what you can. I know. See what you can. I got to go though. It's Thank great, you. great talking to you, Mary. Bye Thanks bye. for calling. At six twenty eight, we'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News ninety five five and AM seven fifty WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center, playing in the dirt for more than fifty years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty or one eight hundred WSB Talk. And now here's Walter. Six thirty six seventy one point six degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape simply by dialing my number, 404-872-0750. Jerry's with us in Conyers, Georgia. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Thank uh, you for all your help through the years. My yard would be a wasteland without you. <laughs> Con- uh, Conyers would be pretty sorry if it didn't have Jerry out there doing his thing. <laughs> How can I help? Uh, and 
thank you for taking my call this morning, too, as I'm getting ready to go to work to put some final touches on Mercedes-Benz Stadium. All right, good deal. Two, two quick things. One question, two plants. I have some lower petulums that mm-hmm. my next-door neighbor accidentally cut all the lower limbs off of. Uh, these are about 20 years old. They're probably about 12 feet tall, and he skinned them up to about uh, three or four feet. And wow. we're calling it an accident. We're neighbors. He didn't yeah. understand. Uh, is there any way I can encourage those plants to grow some lower limbs back? Mm, in general, no. I mean, that's one of the physiological things about plants. When you cut a limb, as he did, you know, the, the cutting that was done to, as you say, skin up the bottom parts of the tree, the response is pretty much going to be within four or five inches of where a limb was shortened. If he skint those limbs, if he took the limbs off all the way back to the trunk, there's not a lot of regrowth response coming out of the trunk. The only way that you can get growth to occur down that low is to cut it completely off right there, which I don't think you want to do. But you would t- cut the whole plant off at three feet high, and new growth would occur within a foot or so of that cut. And that's how you get growth to come again. But again, you've got one 10, 12 feet tall. You don't want to cut all that stuff off the screen. Yeah, I really don't want to. It makes a really nice screen. What do I put uh, another lower petal down at the bottom, a smaller lower petal at the bottom to a screen where the trunks are bare now? What about doing that? Well, that's that's probably a good idea. I could put a couple of small ones in there. Yeah, if you've got just a little bit of room to dig and get in between the existing plants and put it on the sunny side of the laurel petal so it's not in the shade all day long, then, yeah, I think you could do that. And it match, generally speaking, the color of the leaves and behavior of the plant. And some of the smaller ones is ruby and uh, purple diamond is uh, about three feet tall. So there's more more than one that you could choose from to put underneath okay. the tall ones. All right. Well, we'll yeah, I did not even think of that. Yeah. Just put some put some new ones in between. Yeah, you're, that'll work. You're a genius, Walter. <laughs> what else going to help you with, Jerry? Uh, I, I, the other plant is some Valley Valentine pears that they started dying off. They're about 20 years old, too. And I've heard you talk about fungus a lot, so I thought maybe it's a fungus. I cut off all the dead and dying and raked up really good and sprayed some fungicide, and, yeah. and that stopped the dying. But now now my uh, Valley Valentines look kind of sparse, and it was kind mm-hmm. of the same thing. Is there any way I can get those to quickly or more quickly fill back out? I have not had great success with Pieris, and I compare my success with the one that's in, I believe it's still there, in Decatur. As I go into Decatur on Claremont Road, there's one about five feet tall. It looks great. I think every time I go past it, I think, why doesn't mine look like that? Because I have planted four, five, ten of them over the years, and I don't have a single one to speak of right now. None in my landscape. And I, they get too wet, they get too dry, they get too don't like me, or I don't know what it is, but Pieris has not been my favorite plant. My guess is that it's water-related on all Pieris. or blueberry kin, you know, they're kin to the blueberry family. And I think that one of the things that we need to be always aware of is they don't like to be in clay soil. They need to be just like a blueberry planted so the roots can spread out along the surface of the soil as a, as a blueberry would. So anything you can do to add organic matter to the area around your pieris, maybe dig it in a little bit with a spading fork, sort of jabbing the spading fork in the ground and wiggling so that the organic matter is wiggled down into the upper two, three, four inches of soil. I think that would be about all you can do. 
Okay. See if it works. Well, I'll do it. I'll let you know if it works. All right. Play ball. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. We'll see you, Jerry. Thanks for calling. We got Lewis on the line. Lewis is, uh, well, what did she say? Jefferson, Georgia. That's where Lewis is from. It's from Jefferson. Hey, Lewis. Good morning. Hey, how's it going, Walter? You're doing all right. What's going on? Uh, well, I want to know if uh, we cross the threshold to immunity on fire ants, they just immune to any fire ant killer now, and <laughs> we're just destined to live with them for, their, for eternity? Yeah, they're not immune to fire, fire ant killers, but yeah, we're destined to live with them to eternity. We're never going to wipe them out. So, well, you know, how you do can, I get them to go to the other neighbor's yard? I don't have to worry about them in my yard. I can guarantee you that this two-step method will work for at least 10 or 12 months a year if you'll do it once. It is two steps. First step, get some Amdro bait. Amdro is the bait product you just scatter over the whole lawn. Wait 24 hours, generally is fine. And then that, the, all the scavengers from the various fire ant mounds in an area, they'll scavenge that bait and take it back into the mound. And then 24 hours after you put the first bait out there, go to every mound that you can see and treat it with either a drench that you pour in the top or the powder, the orthene powder that you put over the top of the mound. Either, either one works fine. But give it that two-step, bait first, and then mound drench or mound treatment uh, 24 hours later. And you will, generally speaking, have no fire ant to speak of with the next 10, 12, maybe months. It's just that's the way it works. They're not immune, but if you're not using a bait as part of the whole process, you're not going to get full control. Okay. The right, I'll try I know that the, the temptation is to get that bag of fire ant uh, insecticide, and you, the insecticide is deadly to fire ants, but getting the stuff to go down to the mound is much more complicated than you can accomplish with just spraying the, 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 the insecticide out. And there's a definite difference between the bait and the insecticide. Bait is one thing. Right. Bait, they want, they're not poisoned by it immediately. They don't take it down to the mound because it tastes good. They want to feed it to the queen. And that's really the, the control that you get comes from the bait. But the bait, to if you just use the bait all by itself, it would be through three weeks easily before you see much damage. And you want to see them gone tomorrow. And that's why a bait right. and then mound treatment works best. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Nothing to it. Thanks for calling, Lewis. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Lewis's place. Mar who's it? Michael. Michael is in McDonough and joins us. Hey, Michael. Morning. Hi. Good morning. Hey, man. What's up? I, uh, I planted a, a nice jalapeno plant at the beginning of the planting season this year. And yeah. I put it in a five-gallon bucket. Well, I've gotten this thing about almost three and a half, almost four foot tall. Wow, that's a big one. And it's still steadily growing new leaves and growing little flowers and jalapenos constantly. I was wanting to know if there's a way that I could save it throughout the fall and winter this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like moving inside or yeah. something like that, because it's even growing bark, like oh, what well, looks like bark at the base of the at the base of the plant around the. Uh, between the yeah, pole. Where it's, where it's real, the oldest bark or the oldest skin of the plant yeah. is barky. It seems to me that I have heard of someone doing exactly that, just bringing it in and keeping it under some lights in the garage during the wintertime and then bringing it back out in the spring. It seems like I've heard of somebody doing that, but I've never done it myself. Okay. Well, you know, the best I can say is try and see and let me know in January. All uh, right. I definitely will. I, don't see I mean, any, this thing, it's. 
I've never seen purple jalapenos before, but I'm getting red, purple, That's good. green, there's blue. A, it's just beautiful. There's a lot of genetic playing around these days, breeding that the uh, vegetable people are doing because they found out, and you know this, that uh, several vegetables, peppers, can be very ornamental besides edible for you to put on the kitchen table. And so I saw one yesterday that the leaves of the pepper plant were white and green striped. I thought, well, that is a good-looking plant all by itself, not to mention the little yellow peppers that were hanging on the branches underneath. And then there are um, various shapes of peppers. A guy called me two weeks ago about the Peter pepper. And there's uh, one that looks like a bell pepper, but it's sort of short, like a patty pan squash. And it's really sweet, really nice little pepper that uh, I saw it was turned red, just a gorgeous-looking pepper. And so a lot of the genetic work, I guess, in peppers right now is to make them two, twofold, to make them ornamental as well as edible. And so you may see, like you have there, a nice-looking plant, you may see more and more peppers that are advertised that way. Eat them or enjoy them. Either way is fine. Okay. The purple yeah, peppers that come been, out in the fall are great-looking, too. Say it again? Oh, yeah. I said, we've been using them for some poppers. Yeah, of I course. Cook out on the back grill. Yeah, and, sure. uh, I just reach over, break a few of them off, and cut them up, fill them full of stuff, and yeah, sure. put them right on the grill. Nice. <laughs> and the, for people who will soon be seeing, I think, the ornamental purple peppers that come in as a sort of fall color that you see at the nurseries, those peppers are perfectly edible. Um, it's uh, probably best to ask have they been sprayed with anything back at the nursery. Most of the time they have not been sprayed because okay. the growers are pretty aware that people will try to eat them and so they don't spray them with anything dangerous. Yeah. But it might be good to ask. But the purple peppers that come out, they've been on the market for at least 10 years. They are really pretty. Purple and orange oh. and red and black and all sorts of colors of different ornamental fall peppers that are really good to use for ornament and they're fine to eat as well. Okay. There you go. All right. All right. I'm going to give that a try. See if I could just move it inside this fall and see if I can keep that thing alive. I would love to hear from you in January, Michael. All right. I definitely will. I'll give you a right. call back then, sir. Good deal. It's a Thank deal. You. Thanks for calling. Right. It's 647 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Partly cloudy today, 50% chance of thunderstorms. High of 87 this afternoon. Tomorrow, 30% chance of rain. High of 88. Overnight lows in the very low 70s. 70, 70, 71, 72 degrees perhaps. It is 71.5 degrees right now. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mark comes to us from Stockbridge, Georgia and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Marky, good morning. Morning, Walter. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, man. What's going on? We just moved in this house last August, and it's got a lot of uh, pecan trees. But the the tree that's right in front of our house, it it gave us a lot of uh, pecans last year, last fall. And then I noticed just in the last two or three weeks, since we've been having this rain, it's dropping little small football shaped uh, pecans. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if it's distressed or if it's yeah, needing something because I've never seen that before. Have you looked at the pecans themselves? Are they green with black splotches on the skin? Have you sort of seen what those shucks look like? No, I haven't had a chance. I've been working too much, but uh, 
I got a lot of pecans in the driveway, and I'm running over them. But they are they are green, and uh, a lot of them are dark. Yeah, yeah. Before you run over one, pick one up. The dark ones, yeah. if it's green mostly, but has a good bit of black splotching around the shuck. That's a yeah. disease called scab, and scab, that's what happens with scab. It deteriorates the connection point between the nut and the tree, and it all falls down real early before anything is really developed inside the, inside the shuck and the nut. And there's not much you can do about scab other than plant resistant trees back 25 years ago when the trees were brought in. So some years are good and some years are bad. I just all I can say. Some years you just have to deal with it and not get many pecans. And some years yeah. if it's real dry during the summer you'll have no scab to speak of and you get a lot of pecans. So is it a moisture condition? Is that that's pretty much what causes it? Yeah, it's a fungus. Scab is a fungus. Uh, it, okay. it overwinters on leaves on the ground and nuts that you haven't picked up and things like that. And it splashes and blows up into the tree. And again, it depends on the environment as whether or not it spreads or is not so bad. Yeah, that was going to be another question I had. In the fall, sometimes I don't have the time to get all the leaves up, but last year uh, I actually blew all the leaves in the one location, yeah. but I didn't have a chance to get them all up. Can that cause the fungus you're talking about? That is a place where it overwinters, yeah. yeah. It'd be better to burn them, take them away, dispose of them, not leave them underneath the tree. Right. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, thanks for calling. I skipped and forgot that I wanted to talk to Kathy in Gainesville for just a couple of minutes here because Kathy has some information for the caller about overwintering his pepper plant. What did you find out, Kathy? I have been experimenting with overwintering a green pepper plant. Yeah. And it took me about three years to get it to live through the winter. It needs a lot of light. Um, I think I've done about 14 to 16 hours a day. Uh-huh. And I usually prune it back in the fall. Uh, the first year it lived through, it, it produced peppers, but they were teeny tiny ones. Huh. And then this year, it has had the biggest, most beautiful peppers, and they came out nice and early, and they were delicious. And so, was this a is this plant three years old or two years old? The one that you're eating from it's now? On, it's on its third year. Wow! Look at you, Kathy. Is it so in I front have, of a window, or do you have fluorescent lights on it, or what? Do you, what's the light source? Uh, we don't get a lot of light in our house, so I have it right in front of a window, but I have two of those, I don't know what you call them, reflective lights, Yeah. the lights with the metal around them, and I have two of them, and they're really close to the plant, and then I have them on a timer, and it's maybe 14 or 16 hours a day. Wowie zowie, that's terrific news, Kathy. You can keep the peppers alive during the wintertime, just give them enough light, and hopefully Michael will hear your information today and be able to light his up, and he'll have success with them when he comes back to us you should make a date kathy you and i call me if anything ever turns south on you if they ever die and you can't figure out what's going on or if they don't live to be their fourth year and after you've got 10 years we'll have a 10-year celebration on your pepper plants being alive let me know what happens i sure would appreciate knowing about it it's 658 we'll be back to more lawn and garden after news